Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Joe. If I haven't met you yet, one of the pastors here, and uh, excited to continue our series that we started last week called Summer in the Psalms. And actually, the next time we do this, it will actually be the real summer. We've got a few days to go yet, but summer in the Psalms. Today, we're going to be in Psalm 145. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll project it behind us. Let me just pray. Lord, we pray, I pray that you would cause us to praise you for who you are more and more. And as we do that, everything else in our lives would fall into place. And I pray we would be centered on you and who you are and what you've done for us. And I pray you'd fill us with joy and confidence in you. And like the psalmist says, we would praise you every day of our lives because you're worthy of praise. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 145. So, have you ever been so excited about something that you couldn't contain it? So, maybe it was something you ate. You went to a seafood restaurant and it tasted so good and you wanted to share it with other people. Or maybe you were hiking in the woods and you saw a bear with three cubs. Or maybe as we were on vacation, we were swimming in the Gulf of Mexico and we saw fish kind of everywhere. And we, my son found a starfish and we found hermit crabs in the water and we found these kind of crazy looking snail things in the water. Um, have you ever found something or experienced something that you just wanted to share with other people? The way God has made us, the way we are wired, even before we are Christians, is part of experiencing something great, the, the fun part of it, is bringing other people into that experience. I think it's one of the reasons why social media is so appealing. We put pictures of things we've done and we share it with others and others comment on it. See, we are wired not only to delight in things, but then to share that delight with others. And this morning, that's exactly what this psalm is going to do. King David has had a lifetime of experience of delight in God and he wants to bring us into it. He wants to share it with us, and he wants us to share it with others. So the title of this message is, The King Has a King. The King Has a King. King David indeed has a king, and he wants us to know all about his king. So I'm going to read Psalm 145 in its entirety, and then we'll walk back through it. You can either follow in your Bibles or uh, look behind me. Psalm 145, it's entitled, through inspiration, A Song of Praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, or I will praise you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly 
to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. They shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, on the wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cries and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. David concludes, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. See, the king has a king. The psalm was written by King David. He was a king. He had wealth like kings do. He had power like kings do. He had influence like kings do. But his whole purpose of Psalm 145 is to draw our attention to the true and eternal king. This is David's only psalm that is entitled in the original, A Song of Praise. There's other songs that have praise, but this is the song, the psalm of praise. The whole purpose of Psalm 145 is to draw our attention to the Lord. And if you know Hebrew or you study this psalm, um, it's actually an acrostic, meaning every letter of the Hebrew alphabet begins each line of this psalm. And it was done, most believed, to help the, the Israelites remember this psalm. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this. I broke it up into four sections, and we're going to see reasons to praise the Lord. So there's not a lot you have to do in response to this message other than enjoy and worship the Lord. So point number one, praise him for his glory and fame. We're going to look at four reasons to praise. First is praise him for his glory and fame. Verse one, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name 
forever and ever. Every day, every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Extol is not a word that we're probably too familiar with. It simply means to lift up, to esteem, to praise. David begins, I will praise you, Lord. And if you read the Old Testament, Bob mentioned this last week, David had a very difficult life. Even though he was king, he, he experienced great hardship. He had many enemies, both from outside the camp and those inside the camp. He had many enemies. He lived in caves at times. He fled um, for his life numerous times. But he never stopped praising God because of who God is. So he says, I will extol you, my God and King. This psalm is written later in David's life. He's had a lifetime of knowing the Lord. He's had a lifetime of successes and failures as a believer in God. And he has not ceased to praise the Lord. And so we must, like David, learn to do this. Learn to put our affections and attention and allegiance in the Lord first and foremost. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Bless is a little bit different than praise. Bless has the idea of our personal affection for the Lord. To bless God is to praise him with personal affection. We've had an experience of him, and we're going to bless him because of that. If you are a believer in Jesus and you don't feel that personal affection, ask the Lord for that personal affection. The more you spend time with him, the more he will give you that personal affection. But we, we think about a lot of things as Christians. We think about a lot of areas maybe we need to change or grow individually or as a church. But I want you to think about this as a primary way that you can grow and change. And it's learning to praise the Lord every day throughout the day. When I was in college, the last semester of my, my uh, senior year, I wasn't feeling real studious, so I took a pottery class. And I'm not very artistic, but I thought, I'll give it a shot. And um, it had a wheel, you know, spinning around. And the whole idea to, to make pottery, so a coffee mug, a bowl, is you have to center the clay in the center of the wheel if, as it's spinning around. You actually have to use quite a bit of force to do so. If you do not have it centered, when you go to pull it up and make a bowl or a coffee mug, it wobbles and then shoots across the room. It just falls apart. It doesn't work. So you have to center the clay. Well, if you're figuring out, what should I do as a Christian? Here's the number one thing you should do. Praise the Lord. Center your delights your appetite on the Lord himself. Before you think about all the areas you got to change and you need to, to clean up or whatever it would be, like that pottery, like that clay, center right in the center. If he is the primary focus of your affection and your attention, you will be different if every day and every night and throughout the day you learn to esteem and praise and worship, and bless, and thank 
the Lord. See, God is an eternal king. David says in verse 1, I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. See, David knew that one day he would die and another king would come. And he knew one day an ultimate king would come who would be Jesus. And that's the eternal king that we worship forever and ever. Very familiar verse for you. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The moment you believed in Christ, you put your trust in him, you were given eternal life. Another way to think of it, you were made an eternal worshiper the moment you trusted in Christ. And he intends that we praise him this side of eternity and for the ages to come. And so we want to be worshipers this side of eternity because we will spend eternity worshiping the Lord. This is one of our primary duties as Christians, to be delighters in God. I mean, think about the things you enjoy, your favorite thing, whether it's a food or a sporting activity or a certain kind of music, your favorite thing, it's not a chore to enjoy it. I like seafood. Sit me down at a table with a big spread of seafood. You don't have to instruct me in what to do next. I know what to do next. Eat till I can't eat anymore. And then put a little bit more in there. I delight and I enjoy it. My, my, the way God made my tongue, it just lights up with seafood and spices. See, that's how it should be with our relationship with the Lord. I mentioned that we just got back from vacation and we drove to Florida. And on the way there, we left around 2 in the morning, left Pennsylvania around 2 in the morning. And so around um, daybreak, around 6 a.m., I came through um, West Virginia, New River Gorge. And I'd never been there. I'd never been through that part of West Virginia. And it was foggy. So I saw signs, New River Gorge. I think all my family was sleeping at that point. So I didn't think anything of it. So a big sign, looked like there might be hills and stuff, but I couldn't tell because it was really, really foggy. So 10 days later, we're coming back the other way. It's daylight, everybody's awake. We see the same brown signs, New River Gorge National Park. And it's this beautiful, incredible gorge that, that you drive across this bridge and you see this incredible valley that is gorgeous. It's incredible. And so we stopped, we got out, we walked around, we took pictures, um, and it was extremely enjoyable, at least for me. Not everybody in the car was as excited, but Mary and I, we were in. We, this is awesome. Um, I won't name names, but, but it was good. And nobody had to tell me what to do. Like, hey, you should be excited about this, because this is actually a pretty deep gorge, and it's an incredible view that God made it was extremely natural to enjoy it. But keep in mind, 10 days earlier, I drove over the same bridge. I looked out at the exact same spot, and I saw nothing but fog. I think at times our Christian life can be like that. 
we have the exact same book. We are in the exact same building, singing to the exact same God. But at times, the, the fog of internal struggles and conflicts, relational, external struggles and conflicts, um, life pressures, sickness, financial strain, all that tangled together. We're like on the bridge, we're looking out, but we see nothing but fog. And what we need is the Lord to clear it. We need to spend time with him over and over again and ask him to clear it so that we can see him. And as he clears it, you will be different. You will have faith for all those things that are foggy as you spend time with him. See, David says in verse 2, and if you know his life, this is no small thing. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Every day when King Saul and his guys are following me around to kill me, I will bless you. Every day when my enemies are mounting in large numbers, I will bless you. Every day, in one part of the Bible, he, he acts like a wild man, a madman, just so he wouldn't, wouldn't get harmed. Every day, I will bless you and praise you. At one point, David had a massive moral failure that led to um, another major sin in his life. And he turned back and he, he sought forgiveness. Every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever. And ever make that your resolve because of what Christ has done in your life and the reason is verse 3 great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable great is the Lord greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable this word great is a word that is so overused that we miss what it's saying. We have a president right now that seems to use this every time he talks. Um, somebody asks me how I'm doing, I might say, I'm doing great. And, and so we miss what it's actually saying. Great is the Lord. I, I, I looked up some of the, the different ways to think about this word. Great, unusually or comparatively large in size. God is fully present everywhere. He is great. Large in number, numerous. God's kingdom is expansive and ever-growing. Great, unusual or considerable in degree, power, or intensity. God's power, God's intensity, God's sovereignty, God's knowledge. It's unusual, meaning there's nothing like it at all. He is great. He is always worthy of praise because he never changes. He is very different than us. Now, there are some attributes we share, and there are many that we do not share. And so he is great, and we want to worship and enjoy and bow down to him.
If you were here the last few weeks when we went through our series in Job, when we got to chapter 38 through 41, it describes how different God is than us, how, how much greater God is than us. And it's a good chapter to read or a section of chapters to read over and over again. See, we don't want to praise God because of how our day is going or our week is going, or our month is going, or our year is going, or our lifetime is going. We want to praise God because of who he is. He wants us to praise him because of who he is. And as you do that, you will be changed from the inside out. You will be different, I promise, as you praise God. Verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Since God had a people, this has always been his plan. From one generation to the next, a transfer of who God is and a declaration of his mighty acts. Have you ever thought, this is going to seem unrelated, for a moment, but have you ever thought of how Steelers fans are created? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought, how did we go from the steel curtain in the 1970s, made it through the 90s, present day Big Ben era, and there's always been Steelers fans. If you go to a Steelers game, there's all ages there. How did that happen? Did that happen by dry and cold lectures about Here's what a Steelers fan is. Here's how you shall act when you go to a Steelers game. Here's what you should do. How does it happen? Well, my son is 16, so we indoctrinated him young. His, his Aunt Mo bought him a Steelers onesie when he was a tiny little baby. He had a toddler terrible towel when he was three. We watched lots of videos. We read books about the Steelers. But you know what sealed the deal? I think he was eight or nine years old. I took him to his first Steelers game. And I didn't have to really instruct him at all once he called on. The big jolly guy beside you who seems maybe a little bit too much to drink, when he goes to high-five you after a touchdown, you just high-five him back. He, he felt it. When Renegade starts playing in the third quarter and the defense starts making um, turnovers, everybody gets up and starts screaming. See, he had an experience. There was content, but then there was experience. And that's how we need to transfer our relationship with the Lord, our God, to the next generation. There's certainly content, but make the content about who he is and what he's done, his mighty acts in Scripture and his mighty acts in history. He has never stopped working. He has never stopped doing miracles. He has never stopped saving people. He has never stopped answering prayers. And so we want to share all those things with the next generation. You know, as a church, we just had one DC for 10 to 12-year-olds this week. We're heading to youth camp um, this coming week. We are committed to the next generation. It's Father's Day. Dad's the best thing you can do for your kids is delight in God, is praise God. If you delight in him 
and you talk about him and what he's done for you and how faithful he's been to you, it will transfer in a powerful way. Because you're sharing a live, real, living God that you know personally with the next generation. We don't want to transfer a hollow form of religion, a hollow form of do's and don'ts that has nothing to do with the living God. Does God tell us to do things and not do things? Definitely. But it's out of a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So if you are fiercely committed, which I know many of you are, to seeing the next generation raised up in the church, whether you have kids or not, the best thing you could do for the next generation is enjoy the Lord now. Delight in him now. Praise him now. And they'll follow. They'll join in. They'll get to know the God that you love and enjoy. Verse 5. David says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, of how great and mighty and majestic God is. That's what I'll think about. Have you ever spent time in God's word not thinking about things you need to do, but thinking about who he is? For a prolonged period of time, Lord, you are so powerful, so majestic, so mighty. You spoke, and out of nothing, everything came into being. The most creative person in the room, the most skilled carpenter in the room, the most gifted artist in the room cannot create out of nothing. Many of you can create. But you only use substances. You need materials to create. You can take very base materials and make something great. God creates out of nothing. He speaks and it happens. It happened in the physical world. It happens in our spiritual life. He causes us to be made alive and we're made alive. We go from being blind to who he is, dead in our sins and trespasses, and he speaks and we're alive. And we follow son. We trust in his son. So what do you meditate on? What, what have you given your mind and thoughts to? Is it God's majesty, his character, and his wondrous works, what he has done? See, one of the challenges if you've grown up in a Christian family or been in a church for any period of time, we, we, can, we can just grow overly familiar with Old Testament miraculous stories. So maybe you first saw them in felt boards, so uh, God parting the Red Sea, or Daniel in the lion's den, um, or the fiery furnace, and you miss what actually happened in each of those. Or Noah's flood. You go to a card store, and they have little arcs that are fluffy, and you, you miss this incredible work of God, both in judgment and in salvation, in judging the world with a flood, and preserving a people for himself at the same time. See, each of those Old Testament true accounts are filled with awe and wonder. And we need to slow down and really pray and think about each of those wondrous works. 
At the beginning of the year, Dave Marshall preached a sermon here, and the big idea from the sermon was whatever we choose to focus on, we tend to magnify. It was a, it's really helped me in the past year. Whatever we choose to focus on, we tend to magnify. I will guarantee if you spend the rest of 2018 meditating on God's character, his majesty, and his wondrous works far more than you do your life pressures, your life struggles, you will be way different at the end of 2018. You'll be way different because you will see God first before you look at all those things. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. Meditate is thinking about, praying, encouraging. You you can imagine David's in a cave and he's thinking about the Lord. Lord, I know you know all. I know you're with me. I know you see all. I know you're you're on my side. I'm on your side. I'm going to just trust you. Verse 6 and 7. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. So people speak and David joins the praise, the chorus. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Let's spend a lot of time talking about the Lord and who he is and what he's done and what you think he's going to do and what he's doing in our midst and what he desires for our region. He is a mighty God. And if we just see it through the the lens of problems, it's it's just like the fog at the New River Gorge. We can't see it accurately. Spend far more time thinking about him. So let's praise him for his glory and his fame. Next is let's praise him for his goodness and love. Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's gracious and he's merciful. The king of heaven and earth is gracious and merciful. That's a really good thing for us. Yahweh is gracious and merciful. The holy living God is gracious and merciful. We know he's righteous. We know he's just. But aren't we thankful that he's both gracious and merciful? Let's think about his mercy first. Let's imagine that We live in the olden days where there's monarchies and there's true kings with authority that can lop off our heads. And let's say as a 17-year-old, I was a thief. And as a 17-year-old, I was a thief. And I snuck into the king's castle and I stole gold from the king's castle. And the king's guards, they catch me in the middle of the night. And I'm wearing gold necklaces. I got gold in my pockets. And they're having me empty everything. And they say, you have to stand before the king. And I said, king, have mercy on me. And the king has mercy on me. He doesn't cut my head off and he doesn't cut my hands off. That's a good thing, right? That is mercy. And I'm really thankful for it. But the guards whisper to me, they say, he's not only merciful, he's actually gracious too. So as I'm on the ground begging for mercy, still got my head, still got my hands, King says, stand up. The guards begin to put gold back in my pockets. They begin to put a golden necklace around me. The king takes his crown and he puts it on my head. 
And he says, you are part of my royal kingship. Went from being a thief to being part of the king's kingdom. One of his guys. That's what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. There's no more hell or wrath for those who believe in Jesus Christ, who accept his, who he is, fully God, fully man, his substitutionary death on our behalf, believe in his resurrection from the dead. No more wrath. But then we're adopted into his family and we're made joint heirs with Christ. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Isn't that cause for praise? Look at Romans 5, 6 through 8. This is why we have the, the stolen gold in our pocket. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ the Messiah, the promised deliverer. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ, the perfect man, fully God, died for guilty us, took our place. That is always reason for praise if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And if you're not, verse 8 is true. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Romans 10.13 says, quoting Acts 2, quoting Joel, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you ask the King of heaven and earth for mercy and forgiveness through faith in Christ, He will forgive you. He will wash all your sins away. And He will welcome you into the kingdom. And for those of you who, who know the Lord... Look at the second part of verse 8. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. Abounding in steadfast love. Do you think about God that way as a believer in Jesus Christ when you're wrestling and struggling through your struggles on a daily basis? He's a God who is abounding in love, abounding in devotion and commitment and affection for you. He loves you dearly. He's abounding in love for you. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. So now we learn that the king isn't just good to his people, he's good to all. And to his mercy is over all that he has made. Have you ever considered how kind God is to all? Even those who reject him and hate him. Now one day we'll see there will be a judgment for those who reject him. But while on earth, while alive, God is very kind to them. Matthew 5, 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. See, God is very kind and patient with men and women Boys and girls, teenagers that reject him. He's very long-suffering. Now one day there will be an eternal judgment where there will be punishment 
for those who reject him. But day after day, the sun still rises on those who reject him. The rain still comes. There's still food on the table. There's still good gifts to be enjoyed because of who God is. So we must praise him for his goodness and love. We have a God who is good and loving. And we must praise him for his rule and reign and care over all creation, which is the third point. Praise him for his rule, reign, and care over all creation. Verse 10 says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. All God's works shall thank him. All God's works shall point to him. Everything that God has made is to to give him praise and glory. When I'm sitting in my backyard this time of year, I hear birds and see butterflies and there's snakes crawling around and there's squirrels climbing through trees and there's birds eating worms in the yard and there's flowers springing up that we didn't even plant. They're all pointing upward to a maker, to a creator. They're all, in a sense, giving thanks to the Lord. When we were swimming around the Gulf of Mexico, there were, there were like some kind of trout like this big in schools. There were these zebra fish that were kind of sideways and tall. There were, there were all kinds of things to, to look at. And so we're swimming as fast as we can trying to follow these creatures. They're all creatures that point to a creator. They're all giving thanks to their maker. Verse 11, they shall speak of your glory, the glory of your kingdom, and tell of your power. There's a mighty God in heaven. All creation is pointing to. Remember this verse in Colossians? This is about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. All things. Every living thing that you see, made by Jesus Christ. In heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and he holds it all together. If you wonder why things just don't completely collapse and fall apart, he's holding it all together is another reason to give him praise and worship. Verse 11 says, They shall speak of your glory, of your kingdom, and tell of your power. Verse 12, To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. See, we don't want to live in this world made by God screaming that he exists and that he is good and that he is watching over all of his creation and then live, even as Christians, like he doesn't care or he can't help or he isn't interested. That is so foreign to who he is. If you were paying attention this week, I think it was on Thursday in Indiana County, particularly the northern end was in a tornado warning for a while. I was talking to Bob about this the next day, and he said, had no idea it happened. So he was happy and peaceful. Wasn't contemplating, should I actually do what they're saying and go to my basement and hide out for a little bit? Um, but as we're watching the news, and I'm watching it with my kids, and they're, you know, we're kind of right in the path, um, said, well, hey, I think now's a good time to pray. And what I prayed was the passage from the book of Mark where Jesus looks right at the storm 
and tells the wind and the waves to cease. See, we follow a God who can do that, who can just speak, and silence and calm comes over this incredible storm. Now we trust Him. We don't know if He will always do that. But it really pleases Him to petition Him in a way that acknowledges His power and His love and His care. And so that's what we did. And then I asked my kids, do you want to get in the car and see if we can see this? And Mary was away. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) they said, that's not a good idea, Dad. And, And I listened. I always wanted to be a storm chaser. I thought, I said, Isaac, we have a sunroof. I said, Isaac, you can hold the camera and I'll drive. Um, we didn't do that. But the point is, God loves when we petition him in ways that is fitting with his character of who he is, that we have faith. We really believe when Jesus stood up and told the wind and the waves to cease, that he can really do that. And he has not changed. Verse 13 and following. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's eternal. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. He's always reigning. Your Bible might have parentheses here. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Side note, the purpose of those parentheses, um, in many manuscripts, that sentence shows up, and some they don't. So there's a debate. Is that part of the inspired passage? I'm not sure. But the words are true and confirmed in Scripture. So the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. You can study that and figure that one out. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food in their due season. That's all of creation, including mankind. See, we have no food. We have no money. We have no shelter. We have nothing if our provider doesn't provide it. We think we get it by jobs, but he's the one who gives us the jobs. He's the one who gives us the ability for the jobs. It all comes from him. Verse 16, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. See, God's kingdom is forever, and he's like the best carekeeper, gardener, tender, shepherd, who just watches over his creation is actively involved. And more importantly, he's the good shepherd who watches over his flock. He tenderly cares and keeps us. He cares and keeps us when we're screaming and doubting him and acting like we don't even have a shepherd who watches over us and loves us. He watches over us when we're looking for him for our next bite to eat. He, he watches over us when, when we cry out. Help. He watches over us when we get stuck in thistles and briars. He watches over us when we almost fall off a cliff. He watches over us when we do fall off the cliff. He dives after us. He picks us back up. He carries us back and puts us back with his people. See, he tenderly watches over us. So we have so many reasons to praise him. Let's keep our eyes up and look to him. I was studying for this, this passage, and I, and I read a quote of an older guy, like hundreds of years ago, and it was in the time of barrels, and where you'd have fish in barrels for food, and, and, and he said something like, God hears when we begin to scrape the barrel, meaning like we're almost out of food, and he can hear us scraping it, like, uh-oh, we're running out of money. 
So it could be for us, modern day, we look at our bank account, uh-oh. We, we go through our summer clothing. Maybe I, I had 20 bucks from last summer. Maybe I'll check every pocket. Uh, maybe we look through the car. Maybe I had an extra $20 bill somewhere. We start scraping. We start looking. We start getting desperate. And, and the, the, the old guy was saying, he knows when that's happening. He hears when that's happening. And he cares about when that's happening. And we know that. Look at uh, Matthew 6. This is Jesus' words. I'm not going to make any comments, and then we'll just land at the last point here. Therefore I tell you, Jesus is saying, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the flowers, the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here's what we should do. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He knows what you need. Provision-wise, he knows what you need. Relationally, he knows what you need. Circumstantially, he knows what you need. We need to praise him and seek him. Let's praise him for his rule, reign, and care over all creation. And lastly, we're going to praise God for his saving mercy. And when I'm using the word saving here the way that the Bible uses it. The Bible uses it very broadly. At times, the word save is used in what we think, like when God saves us from the wrath of God, from hell, when he gives us salvation. But the New Testament also uses save into rescue or restore from sickness or or difficult circumstances god does that still to this day he he loves to give us help and relief verse 17 the lord is righteous in all his ways he's kind in all his works he's righteous he's perfect he's just he's fair but don't miss this he is kind he is kind to you as you talk to him he is kind Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord is near. I was just thinking of all the people, locally even, or nationally, that if I tried to contact right now, I would not be able to get through. I don't even think I could talk to probably most principals at local elementary schools if I said, hi, this is Joe Ryer from Saving Grace Church, who they do not know. Um, I probably talked to their administrative assistant and they might take a message and they might get back to me. I wouldn't be able to talk to township supervisors probably on first call. wouldn't be able to talk to state representatives on first call. I wouldn't certainly be able to talk to any kind of significant leaders with the first phone call to the White House. Hey, can I, can I talk to President Trump today? I want to ask him something. need help with something? I wouldn't be able to talk to any famous celebrities at first call. Hey, LeBron James, 
I know you make millions and millions and millions of dollars looking for like a thousand. I want to take my family on vacation. Could you help us out? He's not taking my call. There are so many people that will not take our calls for all kinds of reasons. So this should be shocking to us. The Lord is near to all who call on him. God is the creator of heaven and earth. Your savior is near to you when you call. Call him. Call out to him. Talk to him a lot more than you have this past week. He wants to respond. Verse 19, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears the cry and saves them, both temporally and eternally. He responds. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him. He will keep you. He will not lose you. You will make it to heaven if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. But all the wicked he will destroy. If you reject Christ, he will destroy. He will punish. And so that should make you run to the king who is gracious and merciful. Lastly, David ends, My mouth will speak praise of the Lord, that all the flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So let's praise him for his glory and fame. Praise him for his goodness and love. Praise him for his rule, reign, and care over all creation. And praise God for his saving mercy. Let's stand if the worship team could come up. And I'll pray and then we'll sing. Lord, you give us so many reasons to praise you. Lord, may the fog lift right now. And may we be able to sing to you. May we think about the words we're about to sing. We most importantly think about the God whom we sing to. And would you lift every circumstance that's pressing on your people right now. Give them joy as they look out to you and delight in you, find hope in you. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.